Welcome everyone to the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where garden nerds from around the world talk shop, share stories, and offer their favorite tip. I'm your host, Christy Wilhelmy. Our guest this week was featured recently in the LA Times for his home orchard. Jose Ramirez transformed a weedy patch of land into a low water, fruit-filled paradise in the heart of Los Angeles. Jose is an elementary school teacher, artist, illustrator, and residential orchardist. Welcome to the podcast, Jose. Thank you. Nice to be here. I'm really glad to, to speak with you. A friend of mine had posted the LA Times article that you were in on Instagram and something about it made me click through and read your story. And I was like, God, what is, I have to talk to this guy right after that. So I want to know, how did this fruit-filled fantasy start for you? Well, it could go way back to being a kid and growing stuff with uh, my family, my dad. Um, come spring, we would grow radishes and tomatoes and chiles, and he also had fruit trees, um, limes and lemons and a couple peaches and Eventually, we would also get like guayabas and pineapple guayabas and grapes and passion fruit. So that kind of was part of growing up. But then, you know, later on, got a house and started trying to grow stuff here and um, had some success and some failures. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was still a small scale at a small scale. And then there came a time when I was like getting really interested in finding different fruits or when I would travel to Mexico and I would taste really unique fruits or hear about these really awesome tasting fruits that I would love to have. And I, as you know, things became more available through either the internet or like um, local nurseries, I just started bringing them into the, into the backyard. And there was a lot of failures at the very beginning, but it didn't stop me. I just kept trying to learn more and more. And, you know, as I learned through um, books and YouTube videos and, and your book as well, I, I learned that a lot of it had to do with um, getting your soil to be healthy and happy and able to kind of be full of life. Oh, you have my book. Do you have Gardening for Geeks or Grow Your Own Mini Fruit Very garden? first one. Gardening the very for Geeks. first one, yeah. Awesome. I, I was at a community garden event, like, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And you had just put out the book. I don't know how, when you, how long ago you put the book out, but. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, the, yeah. that's, yeah. The, so the first time it came out was in 2012. And okay. yeah, that was it. Or that's actually, right. I think it came out in 2013, but I was writing it in 2012. Okay. I, I don't remember. Anyway, yeah. So the new version is out, um, updated, and that came out in 2020. But you know, it's mostly the same book. There's just a few more plant profiles in it. Um, well, that's exciting. I'm glad I had a part in this and didn't know it. <laughs> that's very cool. Uh, and I want to ask you about all these different fruits and the nurseries where you um, where you discovered the fruits that you were looking for. Uh, but before we get to that, let's talk about a little bit about your location. So you're located in Boyle Heights, which is east of the L.A. River, uh, which it's got a cultural history or it's been a cultural hub for Chicano, Mexican-American communities. And I know it's hot out there. I mean, we're talking right now and it's 84 degrees in my house. I can only imagine how it's been for you this during this hot season. So tell me, what did you start with and what does it look like now? We live up uh, in a hilly part of, of East L.A. It's kind of, I always thought it was um, City Terrace, but truly the, Los, the nature of Los Angeles names are always changing. And so now I think we're part of um, 
Boyle Heights, but it's up in the hills of City City Terrace slash Boyle Heights. And um, when I got here, there was a lot of bushes and weeds that would come out every winter um, and into the spring. And it was really lush with weeds. And I, and I had heard and read that uh, that kind of life in your garden, then you have healthy soil. Mm -hmm. So we got rid of a lot of the bushes. We kept the only original trees that we kept were this huge um, olive tree that has a tree house on it now, <gasps> a pomegranate, a sapote, and a fig tree. Everything else we cut out. And that was like, we have a, you know, we had a couple thousand square feet in the backyard of the house. And um, we were lucky enough to have a, our house next to a lot, two lots that were empty. So after a few years of getting to know the owner, every time he would come and, um, you know, cut out all the weeds in his, in his empty lot, I kind of befriended him and asked him if he was ever interested in selling it, that I would be willing to buy it. And so he saw what I was doing and saw that I had a real big passion for plants and loved what we were growing. So um, he offered to sell it to me, um, I think around 2012 and, you know, started developing this. It's about 7,000 square feet of back of, of lot. So from the front to the back, it's still hilly, but we started kind of like bringing in tons of mulch um, and trying to um, remineralize the soil. And um, up there, I, I have to kind of rely on city water. Since we have mostly established trees, I'm not really watering up there as much as I was um, two or three years ago when things were beginning to really get get into shape up there. Now the trees, there's like this one big section in that part of the garden where the trees are pretty big. So I haven't had to water as much. Oh, great. Yeah. And so for the, the listeners who are like, how much water? Uh, <laughs> what do you, how often, because you, these are established trees that are what? How many years old now? Um, well, the ones on that part, in that part of the garden might be, you know, anywhere from five to seven, eight years. There's some, there's some, um, a lot of citrus and like um, some mangoes and some figs and pomegranates. So it depends on the tree. The, uh -huh. the avocados, the aguacates, they need a lot more water and they're mm -hmm. searching for water. But I've found, and I don't know about your experience, but citrus and pomegranates and figs and jujubes and some of those, they don't need a lot of water. They they can kind of survive on rainwater once they get established. Like, you know, some of my one or two year old trees, I still water them yeah. um, regularly because I, I do want them to kind of grab on. And after a couple of seasons, hopefully they'll do better. But there's another section of the garden where I really, the, the, gar the part of the garden that's right behind our house, where I could get the kitchen gray water or the rooftop water into the, into the garden, then I don't really water with city water other than just that water when, yeah. we, get rain, when we get rain. And uh, I could tell, I knew right away we were going to go off on a bunch of different <laughs> tangents. Did you set up that gray water system yourself or did you have that installed by professionals? Because I know at, for a time it was illegal and you had to yeah. sort of sneak it in and now it's legal, but there are restrictions. So what was your, without outing yourself, what did you do? <laughs> well, you know, my, my uh, good friend is a plumber contractors mm. so we kind of like imagined a way to bring it out and so after fine-tuning it and we're still fine-tuning it and we're still trying to figure out ways to keep it from because it, it kind of goes to the backyard and then I have it connected to a hose and I could take the hose to different areas but sometimes there's backup and stuff so we have to kind of clear it out um, and um, we're definitely going to be redesigning it and kind of taking into account all of the the possibilities of how to improve upon it. But I thought we had a pretty good system and we would have to kind of, you know, clean it out, rinse out that main. It's like a 50 foot um, stretch of pipe that has to go underneath the house to get to the backyard, but it's out oh. of slope 
And once it's there, you know, it does kind of make it even to the farthest parts of the garden. So when we're washing dishes, all of that water goes into the garden. Pretty oh, much. great. Just from the kitchen. We're not doing any other water from anywhere else. Okay. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think we throw away so much water. So that's yeah. really nice to know that. And fruit trees benefit from, they don't mind the right. uh, soaps that we're, you know, if you're using biodegradable soaps, it's totally, yeah. you know, fine. And but, there's no meat, no meat going into the backyard. We don't, we don't have any meat in the house. So okay. that kind of helps as well with, with my peace of mind, as far as knowing it's just green matter that's going into the garden. Right. Cause I know if there were meat scraps flowing out through that tube, there'd be some critters who'd be very, oh very interested. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah. you know, more equally or more importantly is like the water we get from the roof, because instead of it going down into the gutter, I kind of redirected it so that um, we have these adjustable pipes that we can just put in different parts of the garden so that during a rainstorm, um, it could either be going right into the center area of the backyard and just kind of like going down into the the, the soil mm -hmm. or directed into specific areas that may not benefit from the water that's going into that central area. So given rainstorm, when we get, you know, those four inch rainstorms over the course of a couple of days, it's really nice to know that all of that rooftop rain went straight into the garden and that's a big amount of water yeah that is great and so you you don't store things in rain barrels you just direct them straight into the the soil lens as it were yeah i figure you know a good rain bucket can hold maybe 50 to 100 gallons and that's nothing during a rainstorm right um so it's much more um convenient and economical to just have it go right into the middle of the garden and you know we have areas like kind of like a french drain i believe they call it like where mm -hmm. you have like we have a bunch of gravel and the water will be able to kind of like accumulate there and then kind of seep in and um it's th those trees in that area seem to be pretty happy throughout the whole year nice yeah my next question was going to be about bioswales uh if you have woven swales through your garden at all to get the water to the trees more specifically or if it just but you said gravel, gravel pits. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. and other than that, no, um, the couple sheds that we have built are like little structures, small little structures that we build. We try to make sure that the roof um, slope is directed in a uh, productive way so smart. that it can to that area. But yeah, no, we haven't done much of that. That's really smart. And did you study permaculture or, cause I think in the LA times article that there was some mention of permaculture, but I don't know if you have, what's, you know, have you had any formal education around that or just like learning as you go? Just through books and mm -hmm. YouTube videos, there's a lot of cool information out there and it's like inspiring a lot yeah. of times, you know, and, and makes you want to go out and try it. And like people from all over the world po posting tips and stuff. It's like, well, I didn't know about that one. And let me try it. And like, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun just kind of checking that out. Um, at this point and with the weather and everything, it's it's a little bit more difficult to kind of be be that way because we have to be conserving water and I've been trying to, you know, be mindful of all of that. So um, a few years ago, we did install drip irrigation. So all of the trees have access to the drip irrigation, but I haven't been using it in the lower level, mm -hmm. in the top level, um, uh, only in certain sections like I have been watering because the trees are still kind of small. Yeah. So... Yeah. Speaking of fruits, uh, you did already mention that you have some really unusual fruits growing in your orchard. Uh, you mentioned, well, mangoes aren't all that unusual. I think we've they used to be, but now everybody can get mangoes. But you were talking about jujube and sapote. What else have you got growing that's unusual? Um, 
so we have sapodillas and those are like chico sapote they're like this um they describe it as a as like a pear dipped in brown sugar it's it's we have a few different trees and they're beginning to have fruit on them with some of the trees were in the ground for like 10 years and they're big but they didn't produce fruit but now they're beginning to have fruit we have like this tree that's so productive it grows really fast and it grows these really small berries that are called strawberry uh jamaican strawberries jamaican and they're strawberries. really good um we also have uh a trop a couple of tropical cherry plant cherry trees one of them is called uh, the, the suriname cherry i don't know if you've ever had those but those are awesome and we get those a couple times a year right now i noticed this morning i in spite of 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 the heat like there was a bunch of red cherries on it and we have the the acerola which is the one that they make uh vitamin c from we're oh. used to it's a it's a cherry that has a lot of uh, vitamin c um we planted like a, a couple of summer bearing citrus trees so fruit, uh orange trees so um they the 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 skin was kind of like an orange green and i was like oh they still have more time but a few weeks ago i, I cut one open and it was totally ripe so this tree's full of full of citrus and it's like a summer it's called midnight valencia so it, i was gonna it, say it, is it a valencia it yeah, is another one out there that has a lot of fruit but one of the goals was to have trees throughout the whole year so um, we're looking forward to having persimmons and papayas and guayabas later in the fall and into the winter also avocados will be coming in hopefully if you know if it doesn't get too too hot in these next few days and we are harvesting a, a lot of different varieties of jujube because we planted a few different varieties. So we have the ones that are bigger, the, the Lee, but there's some smaller varieties that are super sweet. And I, I don't remember the, the name, but um, I do have them labeled them, but there was one that just kind of like it dries on the tree and it turns into this super sweet, soft jujube with barely a seed in it. And it was like eating candy. It was like eating a chocolate bar or something. It was oh, wow. Now I have yeah. to ask, cause you're saying guayava is yeah. that guava is that what we all say is guava? Yeah. <laughs> the rest of us who don't know spanish say is guava so guayava right. is the right pronunciation for that no they also um spell it as guava so but okay. like, uh, at home like we had a big guayava tree um the seeds came from the town that my parents were from in jalisco and so and everybody just calls them guayava so we, oh okay yeah. good to know because yeah. i know that there's also you know i will say Fajoa, which is wrong, <laughs> yeah. but there's a foyoa, or how do you say for that? the pineapple for the yes. pineapple guayaba, right? Guava. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fajoa, yeah, it's a could be Portuguese or something. I think it's it's always intriguing to see how yeah. well because you know when there's Latin out there, the Latin name for everything, everyone butchers it because yeah. Latin's a dead language. So you know, slight variations among amongst the fruit names because of that. I think. Right. So I wanted to ask you uh, what techniques or strategies you used to build soil to support these trees, because you're at this point where you don't have to water them. So they must be the roots must have dove down really deep. Well, um, I had access to uh, a lot of mulch for a while, for a few years. Um, the arborists were dropping their mulch um, on Monterey Pass near South Pasadena and Highland Park, but they stopped it. There was like piles and piles of mulch and I would see like fresh bark nuggets and I'd be like I gotta go right now so I had in the back of my truck I could fit like nine trash cans and I would just bring them up and spread them all over the garden until my back would be hurt and then I'd have to take <laughs> a couple of weeks off and then try it again 
and stuff because it kind of takes its toll on you. But I was able to build up the mulch a lot. Um, in addition to that, I've, I've tried to to have like worm bins and stuff, but definitely bringing in worm castings and wor and putting the worms in different areas, remineralizing the soil with um, azomite or other sorts of uh, minerals and stuff and sea salts, um, insect frass, everything that I could kind of like hear about yep. and stuff. Yeah, um, kind of like used to get the soil happy and full of microbes. Um, also compost tea. So there was a long periods of time where I'll go and like have the compost tea brewing for like a couple of weeks every night, two or three buckets of compost tea, um, and brewing it with the um, bubbler. Twenty four hours. Um, mm -hmm. I use the brand Boogie Brew. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yeah, I love the guys at Boogie Brew. They're yeah. awesome, and they're they're filters. So I I recommend their water filters because you know L A tap yeah. water or any tap water is yeah. going to have chloramine and chlorine or chlorine in it, and the Boogie Brew filter filters that out. Yeah, we're using that one as well. Yeah, I love those guys. They're they're usually I've always run into them at the Heirloom Expo up in Santa uh -huh. Rosa every year, and and they're always like. Just like, here, take stuff. You need Not to cool. try this out. And I'm like, yeah. right, fine. So they're a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So mulch, compost, worm castings, and mineralizing. Perfect combination of things. That's really good. And so you found in this hot weather, as we're dealing with this uh, and the drought, and I don't know if your water's being shut off for two weeks or not, but there are people who are having, they're in, they live in the zone where their yeah. water's being shut off. In addition to the gray water and the mulch, do you have any other techniques that you use for or strategies that you have for keeping your plants happy in dry, you know, hot weather? Do you use um, any shade cloth or anything? No, well, I'm using um, cloth, but to keep the birds off of our, our fruit <laughs> harvest. And that was awesome <laughs> because um, in the past, you know, when your pluots or whatever are ripening up, you don't even, they're gone. But this time with the shade cloth, we were able to keep harvesting for weeks and weeks and weeks and they were like getting sweeter and sweeter and sweeter and there were no blemishes on them and that was our flavor grenade pluots were amazing this year and we we just did it to some of the persimmons that were beginning to get a little bit uh, orange in color because i know the birds are going to start pecking at them so we just covered them we pruned them down so that we could fit this um 16 by 8 foot shade cloth and use clothespins to kind of like encase it and hopefully that'll help so you're draping it straight over the tree. You're not creating a structure for it or anything. You're just no, draping in this it right case. Over. Yeah, I saw some guy on you on, on YouTube who had him all over his like berries and um, blackberries and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's a great shade cloth because I was using bird netting, but I wasn't a. I'm not a fan of bird netting, and no. it's not that. And then it's hard to put on and hard to take off. Yeah. So I saw this like more of a solid um, white cloth with a lot of air in it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it works really awesomely. Oh, cool. Yeah. I found that the bird netting doesn't work. I, I've done a series, a couple different videos where I was <laughs> trying to do bird netting and then it, it did not work at all. The squirrels just got right through it. And then I ended up creating a contraption with a, with a, um, an old umbrella frame and put the frame open, you know, the umbrella above the tree and then put the bird netting on that. And so the bird netting is oh. not actually touching the tree, but it works really yeah. great. Um, and we have had zero fruit stolen since we did yeah. that on two different trees. I've moved it from one to another, but I love the, the shade cloth idea. I guess once it's pollinated and the fruit has set, yeah. you can cover it and it's fine. Yeah. That's a great idea. Now you are a, a school teacher. So, and I'm sure that this is 
part of you know part of your world is is somehow integrating what you know about gardening into what you teach maybe I don't know so have you opened up your orchard to the community or woven it into your classroom teaching at all um I have done some stuff in the classroom um and definitely before the pandemic and we were getting harvests and stuff different times of the season I would take in um, different varieties and stuff so uh so that we could count them and kind of draw them and talk about them and then they could take them home. One fun thing was like there was a science lesson to talk about variation in plants and there was the experiment was to have the students try out different apples, apple varieties, so they could see how they, they have changed and stuff and how through natural selection or like people um, pollinating um, the fruit trees, they could get different um, varieties. So instead of using apples, I think we use citrus because I had a lot of citrus at the time and a lot of mandarins and to see how the varieties kind of looked. And so I felt like in a little way, we were trying to like counter what they get most of the time, which is, you know, wanting to bring hot Cheetos or, like, <laughs> um, you know, Takis into the classroom when, you know, we, I really don't want to encourage that, but at least like bringing in the colorful, delicious fruit could plant something in their mind about, you know, making better choices. Yeah. And you've also served in the U.S. Navy, which. No, I, no, my dad. My oh, dad your dad did. Me. Okay. Yeah. So I need to, let me rephrase that um, because I, I think I stole that from the, the LA Times article. So your, yeah. your dad served in the U.S. Navy. Um, I know there are a lot of vets out there who use gardening as therapy. Have you. I just, you know, I imagine your garden is an oasis that you take pleasure in being in, but I, I also know there's that side where it's, you look around and there's like so much to do and it can be, it's sort of, you weigh the balance between having it be therapeutic and having it be a lot of work. So where do you fall on that spectrum? How do you feel about your garden most of the time? Or like, how does it work with you or help you? Um, there's definitely many times when it's just so much fun to be out in the garden working and, and looking forward to starting new projects and stuff. And, um, lately I've had a couple friends come and help as well. And, and I, I see that they're really grateful to be able to work in the garden and learn about gardening and, um, kind of interact, um, outside and, you know, at the same time, maybe get some fruit and, and some practical experience. So I see like it, I try to make sure that it's always that way, but sometimes it's more fun for me to stay in here and work on my artwork, which is something that kind of keep, that's one thing that would keep me from going into the garden is if I'm busy with that. Yeah. And, and I can see you've got some guitars hanging on the wall behind you. Uh, we're using the zoom camera so I can actually see him listeners, but uh, do you also play? Um, not very much, but those were um, guitars that were made by um, Ludies in, in Mexico and just from visiting um, and getting to know the style of music called um, Jarocho music from Veracruz. Those are um, jaranas and requintos and leonas that I collected from different guitar makers in Veracruz. Wow, in Veracruz. All right. So where do you want to go from here? What's What are your plans for the garden? What's still to be done? Well, one cool thing is like always looking forward to trying things that are beginning to fruit, right? So like earlier, I mentioned about the, the sapote, uh, sapodilla mm -hmm. trees that we have a few different varieties. I've noticed some fruit on a few of them. So, um, and I've tasted the fruit. They're, they're amazing. So looking forward to having, you know, and experiencing the flavors of new fruit. Like this, this last year we got 
you know, avocado, avocates from most of our trees. And so we were able to kind of try different flavors and different types throughout the year and then, you know, be able to leave them on the tree and, you know, harvest them whenever you need them. So that was a lot of fun. But um, the other thing too, I think like this, and I was talking with person who helps me garden um, about how like we spent a lot of time pruning and kind of learning about how to take care of the pomegranate trees. And this year we've had a bumper crop of, of pomegranates on many, many different trees. We have a few different varieties and they all had so many and they were like bursting. And so we were like, <laughs> we juice them. So I just used the juice squeezer. I don't know if you've ever tried to do, if you have a pomegranate or we just went through like the regular juice squeezer and cut them in fourth. So I didn't have to peel them. I love eating them and I'll eat them too, but we just um, were juicing them and getting the fair amount of pomegranate juice that way. And that was, that would be a, a an awesome way to kind of like, take care of a lot of pomegranates in, in making juice. Yeah. I like that idea. Uh, all right. It is tip time. Do you have a favorite tip you'd like to share with the garden nerd audience? Um, I gave a lot of other tips. I was, I should have said <laughs> the pomegranate tip, but I would say just try to find ways to, um, you know, reuse water or harvest water because there's not a lot of water. And so if you can, like when we're making our juice in the kitchen, we put a bucket underneath so that I can clean it and take all of that juice water from the juicer and put it in the garden. I think the plants really love that or the trees really love that. Yeah, I actually, I was canning tomato. I'm sitting right next to my pressure canner. Um, I, I was canning tomatoes yesterday and I waited for the water to cool and I took it out and watered a bunch of stuff with it because it's like, yeah. it's tomato juice. Yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. And, you know, I just want to ask about your pomegranate tree. What were you doing that, pruning wise that caused it to give you a bumper crop okay so you know you always want to cut prune the the three d's the dead the disease and the diagonal so if there's dead dead ones also like i learned and i'm gonna have to go back and do this on all of the apple trees but you got your center um trunk and mm -hmm. you got all of your laterals you don't want those laterals that have other offshoots to be so long right because then your fruit's going to be hanging really far away from it and it's not going to get as much energy it needs to be closer so we went through and we did the three D's, which gave it a nice shape. And then we made it shorter mm -hmm. and that um, we did it in the, I don't know, we must've done it in the spring or something um, before they were super flowering and stuff. And then they flowered and just, they all have a lot of fruit. And I think that's, I think those are good general guidelines for most fruit tree pruning, but it's, it's a tricky, complicated, something you got to experience over many years to learn how to be a good pruner. Yeah. And I think I, I recommend to people a lot, uh, take a pruning class every year. I do it just to get the courage up to go out and prune my fruit trees. Even though I know what I'm doing, I just need a little boost, just like a little boost in confidence and a little refresher. And then I'm like, all right, I got this. And I grab my shears and I go out and, choo -choo 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 and make a bunch of cuts. Um, I think that is always helpful uh, yeah. because, you know, there's every fruit, every fruit tree has its own needs. Yeah. And so you have to learn about those specific needs. But but like you said, if you start with dead diseased and your your third your third D is diagonal, my third D is disorderly. Um, okay. Yeah. Dead diseased and disorderly. And that helps, you know, kind of that will shape the tree. And if you and, and I my whole book, uh, Grow Your Own Mini Fruit Garden, is all about keeping trees small so you don't need a ladder to harvest them. Cool. And in your case, so you can get shade cloth over them and like not have to <laughs> kill yourself trying to get that shade cloth on and off, which is great. Let me clarify that because yes. di by diagonal, I mean that anything that's going diagonal across the center of the tree. Crossing branches. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Okay. Well, okay. that's perfect. Awesome. 
Well, thanks so much. I had a great time talking with you, Jose. And let's tell people where they can find you. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, I post um, pictures of the garden and the artwork that I create on Instagram under the name Jose Ramirez Art. And then I have a website that has a section on the garden and also um, some of the artwork that I do at ramirezart.com. R-A-M-I-R-E-Z um, art.com. Art.com. Okay, we got that. Mm. All right, garden nerds. I will post a link to this, uh, these links, the website and the uh, Instagram channel, as well as a link to the LA Times article so you can get some eye candy and learn a little bit more about Jose and his fabulous garden. Uh, that's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at GardenNerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under GardenNerd1, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening! <laughs>